0: Our kids have always liked Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory a classic movie from the early 70s Uh, It's a lot of fun to watch, but for us as parents. It's really a great opportunity To speak about character, the the whole movie is really a cautionary tale about character in the movie You've got five children if you remember four of them are totally self-centered and only Charlie rises to the top as the child who is truly humble and noble In the end and so sometimes around the dinner table our kids will ask hey which one of those kids is the worst which one of the bad kids is the baddest Uh, now we can take our own poll to get an idea of what you think but for me my money is on Veruca salt uh, in a landslide Uh, if you remember Veruca she comes from a very wealthy family so rich that her dad has an entire factory full of people opening up chocolate bars to ensure that she gets one of the golden tickets. But all throughout the movie, Veruca Salt is outrageously selfish and hateful, even to her own dad. Uh, as, As he's turning over heaven and earth to get her that ticket, she accuses him of being a rotten and mean father who never gives her anything she wants. And now it's obvious as you watch the movie that her father helped create this monster. He's not some helpless victim. In all of it. But when we, when we talk with our kids about this fictitious girl, it's not just a lesson about selfishness or entitlement or rudeness, although those things are certainly there. It's also a lesson about relationship, at least as I see it. See, Veruca Salt did not love her father. She never delighted in being with him. She only used him as a means to get what her selfish heart desired. And therefore, even when she got what she wanted, she never thanked him. She only accused him of holding out on her, of not getting it faster, or not doing more. See, their relationship was purely transactional, and therefore they never experienced genuine love as a father and daughter. Now you say, Kyle, I think you've seen that movie one too many times. You might be overanalyzing things, and maybe so. Uh, But I want to show you how this applies even today as we look at Philippians chapter 4. Y'all, there's always for us, for every human being, a temptation to come to God for his blessings and yet miss relationship. Isn't that the truth? I like the good things God does for me, but I don't really take the time to pray, to seek him, to delight in him, and therefore the relationship is mainly transactional. And see, what happens when things in my life go wrong? What happens when I don't get the blessings that I'm used to getting or I think I deserve? Well, I might become despondent or even resentful toward God because it doesn't seem like God's doing what he's supposed to do. God's not holding up his end of the bargain. Is it possible that we learn to relate to God in this way, mainly as transactional, not relational? I think we all know what that means. I think we've probably all been there. And we don't necessarily do it maliciously. Maybe we just don't even know any different. Maybe that's the way that we we came to understand God in the first place. But y'all, that's why Paul presses the issue all throughout this letter to the Philippians. He's writing this letter from prison and he's writing to a church that is going through their own various struggles, conflicts, and persecutions. There doesn't seem to be just a whole lot of tangible blessing at the moment. And yet Paul continually speaks of joy. Joy, how? What kind of joy? Where's it coming from? Well. Paul says in chapter 1, joy in seeing the gospel spread, joy in relationship as the church, and most of all, it's the joy of knowing Christ. This is a true joy that is not circumstantial. And it's the only way we can really make sense of the commands that Paul gives us today in the early parts of Philippians chapter 4. This is a very famous scripture one that will actually transform our lives if we're willing to look deeply and abide by what Paul is telling us here. Look with me at Philippians 4, verse 4. We're going to look at this scripture uh, through verse 7. Fairly short, but very powerful. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men, The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Look there at verse 4 again. Rejoice in the Lord always, Again, I will say, rejoice. This is the constant theme in Philippians, our joy in the Lord. And Paul makes it clear, this is a disposition, a posture that every Christian is meant to have. And that's why Paul frames it as a command. It seems a strange command. How can I be told to rejoice? How can I be told to rejoice in the Lord always? That seems uh, intangible, right? And here's the truth, y'all. If my concept of faith is merely to be a good, obedient, religious person, then commands like this don't make any sense to me. They're not very tangible. Or if my concept of faith is, God exists to do good things for me, then again, this command doesn't make sense because we're told to rejoice in the Lord always, not just in the good times or when I'm receiving what I want, but all the time. See, this is, this is a command you can't check off a list. This is a command we can't fake or pretend our way through. This thing goes straight to the heart. Straight to the heart. And with this command, Paul, he's really making a very natural assumption that if we're reading Philippians, that we have come to know Christ by faith, that we've trusted what Jesus Christ has done for us. We are Christians. And in that case, Paul implies, he assumes that we always have cause for rejoicing. Always. And this is a command, verse 4, that really runs through this whole scripture today. So I want to be as clear as we possibly can here. To rejoice in the Lord always means exactly what it appears to mean. It means in every single circumstance. Let your heart be rejoicing in pain and grief, in sickness and poverty, or in Paul's case, even from a prison cell, rejoice. Now, how's that possible? I mean, how's that possible? We we can look at our circumstances, and, and frankly, many of our circumstances are not cause for rejoicing. Well, the key is the little phrase, in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord, always. And this is the... the 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 driving force, this is relationship that dictates our heart. See, we don't rejoice aimlessly. No, we rejoice in Christ. We rejoice in the fact that God himself has loved us and has given us all the riches of his mercy in Jesus. We rejoice in the fact that we have an unbreakable relationship with Christ and a hope that cannot fade away, that cannot be taken away, no matter what. We rejoice in the new birth, the new life that we've been given, and the eternal glory that we've been promised. We rejoice that we are in Christ, and nothing can take us out of his divine hand. And that's just the beginning, of course. There's a lot more that we can rejoice and ought to rejoice over. But y'all understand that this is the unique joy of living as a Christian. That in every circumstance that would threaten our joy, we only end up going deeper into our joy. Y'all, to suffer in this world, is to become more like Christ. That's Philippians 1. To lose the treasures of this world is to, is to know more and gain more of Christ. That's Philippians 3. Even to die is gain, Paul says in chapter 1, because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Everything in this world that would threaten to strip away our joy, every circumstantial thing is actually what gives us a deeper and greater joy because it presses us more and more into Jesus. This is the point that Paul has been making throughout this letter. To know Jesus is to have an ever-present, all-encompassing joy. And when we suffer, when we have cause for fear when we experience loss, we we actually get more and more of the true joy that we have in Christ. It seems backward, but that's how the Christian life works. And that's why Paul has no problem commanding this. He's telling us, press into the joy that is already yours. It's not somewhere far out there that we've got to attain to or achieve. It's what we already have in knowing Christ press into that joy all the time, especially when your circumstances tell you otherwise. Because your joy is not dependent on circumstance. See, this, that, this truth right there will guide us through our entire lives in everything that we face. And certainly it guides us through this scripture today. Even, look, look at what I mean. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 seems to be almost out of place. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. What does that have to do with verse 4 or with verse 6 and 7 that follow? Well, think about this. Just like Paul, the Philippian Christians were surrounded by trouble. They were surrounded in their own community by naysayers and persecutors, Uh, they were not the dominant people group. Christians were the minority. The Roman Empire at this time was a very lonely and even a dangerous place for this small band of Christ followers, and that's really what ought to stir us about the command in verse 5. Paul says, let your gentle spirit be known to everyone. The whole world is against you, so be gentle? How does that make any sense? Well, look at the promise that Paul attaches to it. The Lord is near. He says it so briefly, and so it's almost like an afterthought, but it's not. It's it's the key to understanding. It's the key to living this way. The Lord is at hand. The world can do nothing to us. Really and truly, the world can do nothing to you, Philippians. The great and powerful Emperor Nero, he has no real power over you. Not really. All his power is a figment. It's apparent to the naked eye, but it's not real because only the Lord truly possesses all power and the Lord is by your side. He's he's near. Your future glory, which we saw at the end of chapter 3, your future glory is right beyond the horizon. So how should you live? Paul says, no, don't run away in fear. That's not what we do. Don't uh don't moan and complain, don't grumble and complain, chapter 2. Also, don't attack. Don't go on the offensive and try to conquer your enemies. No, live like Jesus in this world, right here and now. Be gracious and gentle, be loving and humble, so that the world might see the Lord in us. Because the Lord is near, You can be gentle in the face of opposition. You can live as Jesus Christ lived in the face of adversity. It doesn't make sense, but if the Lord is near, then we can do it because we have all we need in him. Y'all, this verse, by the way, verse five, it ought to guide how we interact on the internet, on social media. Um, We Christians can be very cordial in person and yet mean and snarky and judgmental on the internet and that betrays who we are and that betrays what we really say we believe and so paul says even to us in the here and now let your gentle spirit be known to everyone god is with you your identity is built on christ and therefore you can live as christ counterculturally even in a crazy backward mixed up and adverse uh, climate. Now we get to verse 6. And I bet when we read this paragraph a minute ago, verse 6 is where the bells started going off in your mind. Because verse 6 and 7 are just evergreen. We always need these verses all the time. Some of us have them memorized or written down somewhere because they are so present a need for us. Look at what I mean. Verse 6 Be anxious for nothing, Paul says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let's get this out of the way, the fact that we are all prone to anxiety, men, women, children, all of us, maybe to varying degrees, but nobody is exempt from this scripture Some of us, if we're honest, we live with this undercurrent of anxiety all the time. Our shoulders are tense all the time. Our mind is racing always. We just don't even know how to live differently. It's just always there. Anxiety over the state of our world or over this virus or what schools are going to do in the fall over the economy anxiety over our job security our finances and y'all that's just the tip of the iceberg you can fill in your own blanks about the things that make you anxious the things that stir up your heart and mind and y'all that that word anxiety quite literally the, the word that Paul uses in the Greek it means to be pulled apart in every direction And that's a good way to think about it, isn't it? We all know what that's like, that kind of anxiety. So what's the solution? That's what we need. We all know the problem, if we're willing to admit it. What's the solution? Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now think back to verse 4, where we are told, Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, in verse 6, we are commanded in everything make your requests known to God. Rejoice always, pray in everything. Paul is telling us this is comprehensive always and everything. Why? Why, why is it not scattershot? Why is it not dependent on circumstances? Why is it always and in everything? Well, Paul is implying something about God that we have to believe, that we must believe if we're going to live as Christians, that God is sovereign. God is not limited. God is not uncertain about the future. Y'all, there is not a single molecule in all creation outside of God's power and his promise. There's not a single element of our salvation that has been left unresolved that somehow you and I have got to fill in the blank on. That we've got to put the last puzzle piece in place because God has left it unfinished. No. Everything that we need, everything that we that is even beyond our understanding, it's God has got it under control. Every, there's not a single hair on your head, unnumbered by a heavenly Father who loves you. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-good. He's sovereign. Therefore, we can rejoice always. Therefore, we can pray about everything, because everything falls under the sovereignty of God. Y'all, the cure for anxiety is not found in us. It's found in him, the one who controls the world. It's dependence on the Lord. Now, quick point here. There is such a thing as clinical anxiety, which is something I don't pretend to fully understand. Um, But let me say this, that seeing a counselor or a doctor for extreme anxiety does not mean that you somehow don't trust God it does not mean that you are a faithless person. And so I this is an, this is an area that I have no expertise in, and so that's all I'm going to say. But the last thing you need is crushing guilt on top of crippling anxiety. You don't lack faith for going to see a counselor or a doctor if your need is extreme. And, and I don't again, that's all, I don't even know what I'm talking about except that I do believe in that and we would love to help you um, if there's any way that we can. If your anxiety, if you feel like it's, it's truly crushing and not just normal day-to-day stuff, then, then please don't live in silence with that. Let us know, let someone know who can give you genuine encouragement and help. Um, But see, so as Paul speaks generally, and that's really, and I made that point because ultimately we're talking about general anxiety, the anxiety that we all know and experience. Generally, y'all, anxiety comes into our lives and our hearts, our minds, because we, we have a desire to control the world, but we can't actually control it. We have a desire to keep things under our control, but we have a genuine fear of losing that control because in the end, we are finite, okay? And that's why Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always and in everything pray. You know, our inability to control the world is not actually a problem because we trust in the God who does control all things. does have power over all things. And that's why Paul says you can pray and ought to pray about everything, every single thing by prayer and supplication. And that word supplication means we ask God for what we need. We bring God our concerns. We're not afraid or ashamed to ask. Now, sometimes we may say to ourselves, you know, God, God has way bigger, more important things to worry about than my little problem. And therefore we don't pray about it. And we think we're being humble. But y'all, that is not biblical. In 1 Peter, we are told, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because he cares for you. God's shoulders are plenty big enough to handle even our minor little issues. The stuff that we feel like he's too busy for that's not a belief in the sovereignty of God. He can handle all of it, and he wants to bear all of it. And so let's not hold anything back. Paul says, cover everything in prayer. That's the key to overcoming anxiety. And there's a huge key that we have to see, um, because I think if we miss it, then we miss the heart of uh, what Paul's really aiming for. He, it's, a little, it's a little add-on here. In everything by prayer and supplication, he says, With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. This is so important. Don't just pray and make requests, but do it all with a grateful, thankful heart. Now this seems maybe a little backward, but shouldn't we pray and make our request and then wait to see what God does, and then after he does it, then give thanks? Isn't that the right order? but then we miss the point. We miss Paul's point altogether. You know, the the cure for anxiety is twofold. Paul says it involves prayer, which is a posture of dependence. God is in control, not me. Therefore, I humbly come to him in need of his grace. And I gratefully come to him in view of his grace. Do we see that? We humbly come in need of his grace and we gratefully come in view of his grace. Y'all, gratitude toward God is the recognition that I don't deserve good things and yet God still showers them upon me anyway. Uh, As James says, every good thing and every perfect gift is from above every good thing in my life is a gift from a loving father and so y'all anxiety in our hearts gets starved out as we grow in trust and gratitude toward god dependence and thanksgiving god is in control and god is good and therefore, there's nothing in this world that can truly control my mind and my heart because it's given to him. I hope that makes sense. You know, we, we mentioned a moment ago, let's maybe help make it, get somewhat practical here. We mentioned a moment ago the different forms and, and shapes that anxiety can take. I know you have your own list just like I have mine. But I think what Paul has in mind here, specifically in Philippians 4, The anxiety over the bad stuff of life. Not just general anxiety about all sorts of different things, even things that don't pertain to us, but think about the bad things that might happen to us. Remember, the Philippians are suffering for their faith. That's their context. They, as Paul is writing this letter, these people are facing the possibility of losing status, income, business, friends, and family. Uh, They could be thrown in prison or worse at any moment. They don't know. And so there's a lot of cause for them to be anxious. Not to mention all the normal human anxieties, things like our health, uh, family dysfunctions, crime, bankruptcy. There's a long list, right, of just normal human things that we tend to worry about, So the Philippians, both as human beings and especially as Christians, they are exposed to all manner of frightful possibilities. And so do this with me here. Let's take our own list of frightful possibilities. All the bad things we get anxious about, all the bad things that that are happening now or are potentially on the horizon for us, the things that consume our thoughts. And I want us to take that list and hold it up to the antidote that Paul is giving us in Romans or in Philippians 4. In everything by prayer and supplication. Right? That's the first portion, which is about trust and dependence. If our trust is in our finances or our social status or our health or whatever you're always going to be anxious. Even if those things are clicking along and going great, you're always going to be anxious because you know the truth and so do I. We're never really in control. We fight tooth and claw to be in control, but we're never in control. And we know that at any given moment, those things can be taken from us. And so we'll always be anxious even when things seem to be great. But y'all, in times, listen, in times of deep prayer, we're actually transferring our trust away from those things and we're transferring our trust to God. All the things we cannot control actually belong in his mighty hand. Y'all, if I spend all day worrying and only 30 seconds praying I'm refusing to to transfer my trust and dependence. I might mention my anxieties to God, but I'm holding on to them and I'm not trusting him or depending on him. I'm refusing to do what 1 Peter says, to cast all my anxieties on the Lord. See, many of us, I think, we struggle with what verse 6 says because we've never really tried it. We struggle to believe That prayer can really soothe our anxieties because we've never really spent deep time trusting God seeking God in that kind of prayer we may ask God to solve the problem but what we really need is to make God our trust hear me again on that because this is what I need I don't just need God to solve my problem what I really need is for God to become my trust Otherwise, anxiety will always rule my heart. And that only comes in prayer and supplication. And then, remember the other portion is thanksgiving. This means we can take any bad thing, any bad thing, and hold it up to the light of the gospel. And the gospel will outshine it. The gospel will overwhelm it. Any bad thing. That's what Romans 8 is all about. Romans 8 tells us that in all the painful realities of life, you can take all the bad stuff in the world and stack one on top of the other. And that stuff still cannot separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. No matter what, nothing can take us out of his grace, his love, his mercy, his promise. You know, just, just a few weeks ago, as we walked through Philippians 3, we marveled at the promise at the end of Philippians 3, Jesus will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. That is a certainty for those who trust him. Therefore, we can rejoice always and we can pray in everything with thanksgiving, even if the whole world around us seems to be crumbling Because the truth of Jesus Christ and his grace for us cannot be tainted, lost, diminished. It is ours in full, even if everything else falls apart. So we can thank the Lord, even as we pray, for the things that ache our hearts. Y'all, anxiety, listen, if if we do what Paul's calling us to do, anxiety has no more leg to stand on. It will be starved out. It may take time. It certainly will take time because these anxieties typically are buried deep down. But it can't survive where there's genuine prayer and supplication and thanksgiving with an understanding of who God is and all that He's done for us. And y'all, that's not even the best part. I saved the best for last. Well, Paul did, I didn't. But here it is, verse 7. It's the promise. Not just the command, but the promise. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice that the promise is not, God will remove from your life all the things that make you anxious. That's what we might want. But y'all, here's the truth. We would just find new things to be anxious about. If God took this away, then that would become the problem. Don't we know it? God gives us the far better thing, His all surpassing peace. Remember that anxiety means to be pulled apart in every direction? Well, peace means the exact opposite. The peace of God is the gift of wholeness, it's the gift of knowing God and therefore being complete and whole. In Christ. That's what this peace is. That's what it accomplishes. And this gift comes to us even if our anxious circumstances don't change. Paul is not counting on the peace of God breaking him out of jail or changing the Philippians' harsh circumstances. That's not the promise. The promise is not that everything is going to be made easy for us, but that the peace of God will transcend our comprehension, will transcend our anxious hearts and our difficult circumstances. It's something better, truly, than temporary relief. All of your anxious thoughts, all of my failure to really trust God as I should, Paul says God's peace surpasses all of that. All our comprehension all our best ideas, tips and tricks to overcome anxiety, God's peace is superior. And this peace, Paul says, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, which means that the peace of God is not just some passive feeling, but it's a, it's powerful to those who trust him. Some translations say that God's peace is like a garrison around our hearts and minds. It is a fortified refuge, and we can be safe there. We can find peace there in the midst of a harsh and difficult and uncertain world. Now, one of my favorite statements in the Bible comes from Romans chapter 8. I mention it often because I think it's a question that we need to come back to often. Um, Romans 8.32, God, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with Christ freely give us all things? Isn't that an amazing question? If God did not withhold his own dear son from us, why would we think that God would withhold any good thing from us? Listen, if you and I turn to Jesus in faith, Trusting him for his grace to be saved. What do we get? What do we get? Well, we get forgiveness. Obviously, we get peace. And we can, we can go down the list. Sure. But the far greater gift is that we get God himself. Jesus Christ has reconciled us to God. To trust Christ, the Bible says, is to receive Christ. We get Him. And in Him, through Him, we get all the wonderful gifts and blessings that He delights to give. But it's not transactional. It's not just the things we get from God. We get God. And therefore, we get peace. We get Jesus. And therefore, we always have cause to rejoice. the, the, The peace of God, which cures anxiety, is not a resource, it's not a commodity that God just hands down to us to get us through the day. The peace of God is the gift of knowing Christ, of having relationship with him. And that's why we can rejoice always, even when it doesn't make sense to. That's why we can pray with gratitude in everything, in everything, even if circumstances seem dire. Because our peace is established not on circumstances, not even on feelings. Our peace is established on a person that we can know, who will never leave us nor forsake us, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He himself is our peace and our rejoicing and every other good thing that we are now freely given because he went to the cross for us. Let's pray together. Let's do exactly what Philippians calls us to today. Let's pray with supplication and thanksgiving and ask God to do what ultimately only he can. Father, would you give us, Lord, your Your grace today to acknowledge the amazing gift of yourself. Lord, You, there's nothing better that you could have given us than to know you and your glory and grace and love. There's not a better gift out there. And so thank you, Lord, that you did not withhold your own son, but that you delivered him for us all. And now because of Christ, we freely receive every good thing, Lord, that you have to give including today the gift of rejoicing the gift of a heart that's transformed lord to to live according to um, our relationship with you and not our circumstances we can rejoice always in the lord the gift of of peace that guards our hearts in the face of all our anxieties because we are able to pray for everything, in everything we can pray and give thanks to you and ask you for your mercy. Lord, what an abundance we've been given. Let us not take it for granted. Father, where we have, if even even just a little bit, if we have understood our relationship to you as transactional, then Father, show us today that it is not, it is not transactional. You are not seeking things from us and us seeking things from you and maybe we'll meet in the middle somehow. Oh my goodness. No, Lord, you have come to us in love and grace and mercy. You have given us, Lord, your very best, your own son, so that you might freely give us all things for all eternity. And you've given us the ability The privilege to know you. And so, Lord, let it be for us relationship, not transaction. To love you uh, and and to know you in, in in a very special way, a deep way, when things are wrong, when things are backward and painful and worrisome, when our hearts are anxious that we would know you more, more deeply, that our joy would be deeper because we are knowing more of Christ through our trials. Thank you, Lord, that you've set it up this way. Help us to see you more clearly. Help us to love you with all our hearts. And Lord, help us um, in this specific instance to see our anxieties starved out in light of the rejoicing and prayer and dependence and thanksgiving and peace that we are privileged to know through our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us trust him for these things today, just as we seek to know him more fully. We ask it in his awesome name. Amen.